0: You are listening to the Post Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 41, covering Beyond the Farthest Star, Yesteryear, One of Our Planets Is Missing, and the Lorelei Signal. Hi, Matt. Hi, Al. We, uh, we got the animated series to do now.
1: Yeah. I'm actually not, entirely not looking forward to this.
0: See, you know, I, I thought uh, I thought it would be kind of an uphill battle convincing you, because I, I've heard from a few of the listeners, oh, really, you're not just going on to the movies, now huh? you're doing the, that stupid cartoon. But it's not bad. No. It's really not bad, and I'm glad... Like we we did our we watched our first four episodes and uh, and I think you were pleasantly surprised.
1: Yeah, no, the the look of the show first of all is gorgeous.
0: Yeah, whoever was doing the storyboards knew what was what. It's mm. it's whoever then tried to make them have the illusion of movement.
1: Yeah, the the actual animation looked like shit. If this was a comic book, I would probably buy it.
0: Maybe we could just call this a motion comic and split the difference.
1: You know what? I would be okay with that. There's at least as much motion in this as there is in that Watchmen uh, motion comic. Sure, why not?
0: Uh, quick, quick bit of background for those of you who don't know. Uh, of course, Star Trek was canceled uh, in 1969 after the dismal Season 3 that you've heard us complain on and on and on about.
1: Mm-hmm. And rightly so.
0: Yeah, and and then uh, the fans wrote in, demanded that it be returned. Uh, that happened once. Uh, they brought it back when it was almost canceled after season two, uh, but then it got canceled again. Um, they managed uh, to get an animated series made. I think five years later. I think 1973 was the date yep. that was on these. Right. So yeah. Yep. Four years. So
1: later. it does. It does occasionally happen. Keep trying, Firefly fans.
0: Well, this was the first time. This was mm-hmm. unprecedented at that point. No, never had. Uh, I mean, and and I say never. I'm sure someone knows some example somewhere, but.
1: Ed will tell us. Yeah,
0: but never, generally speaking, in terms of mainstream pop culture stuff, did a group of fans ever get together, uh, organize themselves uh, into conventions and, and letter-writing campaigns, and get something brought back. So mm-hmm. that was very cool. And they were working on a second live-action TV series, I guess simultaneously, which would end up turning into the first movie. Yep. But in the meantime, we got this, which, uh, unfortunately, was made by Filmation. Um
1: yeah. They certainly went with the absolute cheapest animation. They went with the animation studio that looks shittier than Hanna-Barbera.
0: Yeah, uh, Filmation's who you call if, if Hanna-Barbera won't return your calls. Yes. Um, Filmation's other um, highlights include um, the Ghostbusters. Not the real Ghostbusters. <clears> the, <throat> the other ones. Um, actually, I believe they produced the live-action version, which was then developed into the animated series later. Uh, both of them had a monkey.
1: Eat a dick, Filmation.
0: (laughs) Uh, Also responsible for He-Man and She-Ra, and a number of other things that escape me. I think they also did Fat Albert. Like, I think they did some comedy, too. I don't think it was all adventure stuff.
1: Now, that's a crossover I would like to see. What, Fat Albert and Star Trek? Yes. Very well. (laughs) And if you're not careful, Captain, just might learn something.
0: (laughs) But uh, we are doing... um four episodes of these each because the the show was half an hour minus commercials so some something like three minutes each Mm -hmm. um so we'll be flying right through these just so you know Um, yeah so matt why don't you take it away with the first episode beyond the farthest star
1: all right beyond the farthest star well sir it's a new season for star trek everything's a little brighter a little starker a little more repetitive And what fresh changes have struck our beloved Enterprise as she moves into her fourth year? Lieutenant Kyle has grown himself an utterly gorgeous Fu Manchu mustache in an effort to expand from just being a transporter technician into the feared and nefarious crime lord of the mysterious East. Chekhov has gone somewhere and been replaced by the much cooler looking Eriks, the three-armed goat man. Other than that, the gang's all here and looking pretty fucking Ripped. Whilst on some sort of shit detail, the Enterprise encounters a mysterious radio signal, inviting them to call in and repeat the phrase that pays. Kirk, desperately hoping for Springsteen tickets, heads to the source of the radio signal, an enormous and utterly beautiful spaceship. After strapping on their new utility belts, Kirk, Bones, Spock, and Scotty beam down to check the place out. Completely abandoned and seemingly destroyed from within, the crew go exploring – I find an old recording of an absolutely terrifying alien who explains that he has destroyed his own ship to prevent it from being taken over by an evil alien gas creature. Unfortunately, said gas creature beams back to the Enterprise with Kirk and then attempts to take the ship over. Uh, the good news is that Spock sets the ship on cruise control and makes like he's going to crash into a dead star. Uh, after, some embarrassing, after some embarrassing whining, the vile gas abandons itself, trapping, uh, abandons the ship and traps itself inside of the dead star. Being the first time that Kirk and, and company have abandoned a, abandoned one of their enemies inside of a celestial body body rather than on it.
0: <laughs> uh, something when I was recapping at the very beginning there, um, they have almost all the original voices. Um, what was very cool is uh, they got Shatner, Nimoy, and Kelly. Uh, Nimoy only would come on the condition. Uh, he said, "Look, uh, the, one of the things about Star Trek is that it was a little progressive. You had a, uh, an Asian chick or an Asian dude and a, and a black chick. Uh, I won't go unless they go, and so they're like, oh, fine," but that's it, no more. <laughs> so, as Matt correctly says, uh, we have everybody except Jakov, which is what we wanted in the first place. Yeah. So, thanks. So that that works out for us. Um, you point out the um, the utility belts, which are, on the one hand, a little silly, on the other hand, kind of cool.
1: I, I lo- it's a nice on the cheap way to sort of uh, to sort of explain why they're walking
0: around in space. Well, I always said that that they should have more actual out-in-space stuff. They had the suits. Yeah. They only used them once or twice. Yep. Um, and they get around it by these these uh, these belts, generate a force field around them, which for the animators just means drawing a glowing line around the figure. Yep. <laughs> and at times they couldn't even manage that. I noticed the line would go like sort of inside Kirk's eye. Yeah. Like all you have to do is draw an outline. That's it. It's-, it.
1: it's it's sort of like on Super Friends when they'd have an underwater adventure and they just all have bubbles around their heads.
0: Yeah, That's uh, that's fine. <laughs> no, I, I don't mind that. If it means they can actually go out into space, yeah. There's lip service paid to the fact that they can't exist in space. That's mm. good. Kids should not think that you can just go into space. <laughs> not that they would ever try the, the, to this, duplicate that somehow. But you know. the Star
1: Trek animated series got canceled because uh, too many kids tried to go into space. Yeah, they thought <laughs> decompri- it was. They
0: thought it was safe. They thought it was totally yeah. fine out there in the cold vacuum, and it turns out <laughs> not so much.
1: And that's why in the second season, of the animated series Spock is replaced by Herbie the Robot. <laughs>
0: I really legitimately thought, not this episode specifically, but overall, that they paid a surprising amount of attention to scientific detail. They they really could have, uh, you know, abandoned all that in favor of, this is a kid's show, who cares? They're, they're kids because they're stupid. Mm-hmm. But they really tried to say, this is why this happened. And, you know, and it's still junk science, and it's still techno babble but you know
1: oh yeah but i mean it's definitely they definitely give real science a lot more lip service than you know you'd expect from a kid's from a kid's show in quotation marks there was
0: there was i would almost say more techno babble than there was in the original series
1: yeah uh a lot of the animated ones we've seen so far so so far feel a lot quieter than the um yeah than the live action show it's a much it's a much more um there's not a, There's there's fewer action sequences. Right. And, and Possibly fact, because they were expensive, but... Well, and that's the
0: thing is I think as cheap as Filmation was and they did, did cut a lot of corners, they also used their weaknesses to their advantage. They, they, they were quieter shows, which effectively means they didn't have to do as much, but it also had that sort of creepy old-school science fiction feel. You're out in the coldness of space. Yep. It's quiet. Everything's sort of big and scary, and every now and then you actually get that feeling. Mm-hmm. Which was cool. And, and in this case, you had this big, sprawling, organic, tentacly ship, which had a really cool look to it.
1: It looked so gorgeous.
0: Like we were saying, whoever did the uh, the actual storyboards, like the, the painting, w- was quite, quite talented. The design yeah. of it was great. It was just No, you were, you were saying when we
1: were watching terrible. it, there was a lot of, like, a Kirby influence there. Yeah, definitely. Like Which like once everything. you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, I could see that.
0: Like everything in the early 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Kirby obviously got big in the in the '60s, but then you had that next generation of artists who just uh, were, you know, really wanted to be like him, and and that's certainly not a bad thing for a science fiction no. show. And it's it's a look that I don't think we have so much anymore. Like very classic science fiction, you know, big tentacles and and you know, big clunky looking machines. Yep, and I I really enjoy that. Quite
1: a- a bit. Everything in this episode feels big, you know, like. The ship they're in, the ship when compared to the Enterprise, which is a really cool little sequence, yeah, just everything is a lot is a lot grander, which is nice when you have when you're doing the animated series because you can actually sort of do that. yeah, and, and
0: it doesn't cost them a damn thing.
1: yeah, it's like oh, we blew all our money on a shitty rock monster, yeah, oh they... well,
0: <laughs> um. And and this is uh, again more of a, a general statement, but uh, a lot of the uh, voice duty is pulled by uh, James Doohan, who actually has a fairly decent range. He doesn't just do Scotty; he does a lot of the the incidental characters. Uh, and on the female side, usually Major Barrett, but occasionally you'll get a Nichelle Nichols popping in there because they're the only girls. Yep. So they pretty much have to cover everyone, and and we'll see <laughs> coming up in a couple episodes that that becomes a bit of a problem. But uh, why come no girls? <laughs> But but you had Eric's who had a, a very distinctive voice, the Goat Man. <laughs> yep. And then you had that alien on the on the tentacle ship who actually sounded pretty much the same.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and both of them sounded very much like James Doohan doing, doing a yeah, squeaky voice.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean he's you know he can he can do those you know but then he can you know oh, baby. He can also do the booming you know I am blah 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 like he's he's good at that stuff so. Uh... Since the dawn of time, yeah, I wish they'd gotten that guy, but again, yeah. we'll get to that. Um, but overall, I mean not a not a bad start, not a not a bad episode, not the greatest, but uh, nope. not terrible, certainly.
1: I was doing some research on this episode, and one of the uh one of the continuity things they have a memory off the lists uh lieutenant Kyle's mustache his incredibly awesome mustache as foreshadowing for the goatee that he'll grow in Star Trek
0: two yeah and um, I was looking at your summary and I'm like really you're giving. Like, these are shorter because the episodes are shorter, but you're really giving two full sentences to Kyle's mustache, huh?
1: It's a fucking awesome mustache!
0: And apparently it's a huge thing among among fans. So, mm-hmm. there you go. But, I mean,
1: I, I like the idea that growing a mustache is foreshadowing to growing a beard. Much in the same way that my having long nails is a, is foreshadowing to my cutting them. <laughs>
0: Very nice okay so uh we're gonna we're gonna start doing this a little differently now uh do you have a, a quote for this episode
1: yeah uh my quote of the episode is the is uh the enterprise abandoning a cr- uh the star creature on the uh or uh, the enterprise abandoning the gas creature on the uh dead star
0: No not leave me alone log
1: date 5221.8 final entry resuming outward course beyond the farthest star of our galaxy mission star charting good work everyone uh, Mel's all around
0: very nice uh, and, and rather than in the future we've decided to go with a, a different feature uh, you, you decided we should do alternate titles for the episode so uh, rather than beyond the farthest star what would you have called this episode Jim Kirk's new star gods don't ask just watch it very well. All right, on to mine, which technically is the only animated episode that is actually part of canon. Uh, yesteryear. On a research mission to the Time Vortex...
1: Um, don't you mean the Guardian of...
0: Shut up! No, I don't! Kirk and Spock inadvertently caused Spock to have been killed at a pivotal point in his life at age seven. So now nobody on the Enterprise knows who Spock is, and the first officer is an Andorian. I originally thought this Andorian was somehow responsible for Spock's situation on a kind of his shifty eyes... Uh, but that's just how Filmation shows emotion. Everybody has shifty eyes, even when they aren't do- even when they are doing highly suspicious things. It's going to take a little getting used to. So Spock works out that he needs to go back in time, pose as his own cousin, and save his younger self. This feels like a story we've seen Star Trek do a thousand times, and that's probably true by now. But it was original at this point, so shut up and enjoy it, dammit. So yeah, in the guise of Selick, the mustachioed, Hawaiian shirt-wearing guy who almost played Indiana Jones, Spock meets younger versions of his parents. Thankfully, they're already together, so he doesn't have to invent rock and roll on the Vulcan harp while he's here. Young Spock, clad in tidy whities a belt-sash combo, and nothing else, is being teased by the Vulcan children. It's a lot like the infamous Vulcan boyfight scene from the 2009 movie, only with more underwear showing. Young Spock goes on a wilderness adventure with his pet Selot, the teddy bear that his mother joked about in Journey to Babel. But what starts out as a fun time in the mountains roasting marshmallows turns into a living hell that ends with said pet being euthanized. His cuddly pet now destroyed, Spock's life is somehow changed for the better, and the timeline is restored. Kirk had his Edith Keeler. Spock has his Ceylot. I guess the lesson here is that cute things need to die in order for great men to persevere. Or something.
1: (laughs) That was a really Scooby-Doo looking...
0: uh... It was, which was unfortunate because there's a lot of heavy, dark stuff happening in this episode. And and a lot of really... uh, D.C. Fontana wrote this, and D.C. Fontana has written uh, the bulk of Spock's backstory... And so it's great to see her continuing to participate in fleshing out this character, and that's why yep. this counts as canon because there's a lot of great s- details here about Spock's family, mm-hmm. on, uh, his life on Vulcan, his, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, his 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 teddy bear, his pet Salat Uh yeah, it looked. I kept
1: ex- I kept expecting it to jump into his arms
0: and go rut row. I expected it to talk definitely. Mm-hmm. It looked like it should have a big dumb voice. which... Oh geez, Spock, I don't know. I don't know, Spocky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, as I alluded to, um, the gateway that they use to time travel is very clearly that thing that Harlan Ellison wrote about. Yep. Uh, they re- actually refer to it at the Gu- as the Guardian a couple of times, which mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing is like a they they missed it when they uh, revised the script. But uh, well, well, I
1: think you can get away with Guardian. I just don't think you can stick the of
0: forever part on there. Right. And the voice they gave it was very distinctively not the original voice. <laughs> Would you like to travel through time? Like it was sort of a wispy old man voice, you know. Still, I mean the, the 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 meat of the episode, like goofiness notwithstanding, was quite deep and quite dark. Yeah, young Spock had really had to euthanize his pet. I wasn't—that's not a joke. That's nope. a thing he had to deal with. And uh,
1: how many uh, how many kids' cartoons in the '70s could say that? <laughs> there, Only. Like, the- only the, only this and uh, Jabberjaw.
0: And the groovy ghoulies. <laughs> um, now, there's a, there's a running joke that uh, I think you and Amanda started, and, and Amanda and I have continued, which is uh, kids love Justice League. Because <laughs> yes. There's so much stuff happens in the Justice League cartoons that is just really dark and awful. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'll extend that to say kids love Star Trek. <laughs> because there's some, some pretty – for one thing, there's almost no action. No. There's a couple of times where an action sequence starts, and then they just cut away. Yep. Most of the action happens off-camera, which I guess is a budget thing. But, um, no, for the most part, it's people standing around talking, and um, and then a kid killing his pet. Yep. Which, you know, hey, great. Um, The, uh, uh, the, uh, the city that they lived in on, yep. on Vulcan, which, again, good design, terrible animation. Uh, that city was the basic design that they put sort of in the background in the restored Amok time. Mm-hmm. Where they're walking on that that new sequence and the, across that bridge, you can actually see that city in the background, which is just yeah fantastic.
1: And they also used the design for uh, Vulcan in two
0: thousand in the two thousand nine movie, right? I think so. I'm not I'm not positive about that. Like I definitely know they used it in uh, in A Mock Time, mm. but I'm not a hundred percent sure they used it in that. Um, they got Mark Lennard back to play. That Sarek, was so fucking cool, which is great. Um, they only got like because they had paid so much for you know Shatner, Nimoy, and all those guys. Uh, they, they didn't get a whole, like we said before, they didn't get a whole lot of guest stars. They did get Mark Lennard. Uh, we do get Harry Mudd playing Harry Mudd. And then we get, uh, I think one of the original Klingon captains also comes back. no oh, good. And I think that, no, maybe Cyrano Jones also. Oh, well, we'd
1: hate to miss out on him.
0: But I mean, over the course of 30 episodes, really only three or four guest stars. That's, yeah, it's not that much. So that's, that's fairly impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently at one point early on, one of the versions of this was that Sarek was actually Surak, the uh, the guy we called Vulcan Jesus. I remember reading this in one of my, I don't know, compendiums or episode guides or whatever, where, like, DC Fontana always thought it was kind of funny that their names were similar. <laughs> and so she was going to write this story where he ended up becoming sort of the founder of, uh, of Vulcan philosophy. I'm kind of glad they didn't.
1: No, that's a little on the nose
0: there. Well, I don't really like the whole circular time travel logic, anyway.
1: No, especially not for both
0: for the father and the son. Yeah, that's a, that's a little weird. Um, so, in the in the alternate reality where Spock doesn't exist, mm-hmm. um, apparently, like the whole chain of events is that you know Spock died when he was seven, um, and then uh, Amanda died not long after Amanda uh, Sarek's wife, not Amanda my wife. Yeah, nothing could kill that Amanda. No, definitely not. Um, not that I haven't tried. Uh, <laughs> My kid, of course, I'm not kidding. Um, no, but she she had died in a, uh, in a shuttle accident, and I just realized, okay, so that's one alternate reality where she died, and then now in the new in the new JJ Abrams continuity, she's dead too. This woman just cannot catch a break every time reality <laughs> splinters off she dies. It's just incredibly unfortunate.
1: I want to see the uh, I want to see the uh, the Star Trek episode uh, Amanda Surak or er,
0: Surak must die. Amanda Grayson must die. Yes. <laughs> but overall, I mean, you know, it's got some goofiness, but uh, pretty solid episode. I mean, I hold this up as one of the best ones of this series, and it's kind of unfortunate it comes so early. Yep. Because a little bit later, it's not going to be quite so good. <laughs> you got anything else about this one? Or? Uh, no, I think that's it. Okay, so uh, my quote is uh, this episode's version of the Vulcan boy fights. <laughs> Which is a bit a bit goofy. They obviously got child actors to, uh, like, whatever, the producer's kids or whatever, uh, to mock Spock. And it's just atrocious. There you go.
1: You're a tarant, Spock. You could never be a true Vulcan. That is not true. My father? Your father brought Shane to Vulcan. He married a human. You haven't even mastered a simple Vulcan neck pinch yet, Earther. So yeah, not, and, uh, not great. And again, the uh, the costuming on Vulcan boys is yeah, completely was disturbing.
0: Uh, a belt, sash thing, and tidy So yep. That is it. Uh, and I, my alternate title for this episode was uh, "Today's the Day the Teddy Bear Dies." <sighs> All right, now back to you, Matt. With one of our planets is missing. One of our planets
1: is missing. The Enterprise encounters Galactus, but you know, lame. Cloud Galactus from the second Fantastic Four movie. Don't spend too much time thinking about how awesome it would be if the Enterprise fought giant purple galactus. You'll just disappoint yourself, much as I was this afternoon when I was writing this. Uh anyway, so the crew watches this galactus devours some planet and then starts making its way towards another one. Desperate to stop the thing, the Enterprise finds itself swallowed by the cloud and trying to avoid being digested. Spock figures out that the creature has a brain and Kirk decides that destroying it is the best chance of saving the next planet. Spock argues that if it has a brain, it might be intelligent, and Starfleet has very specific rules about that sort of thing, Uh, but Kirk demands that Spock never tell him the odds. (laughs) Unfortunately, the creature's brain is so vast that not even the Enterprise's weapons could destroy it, so Kirk decides that the only course of action is to blow the Enterprise up and take the creature with it, Uh, which is pretty badass, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Spock decides to attempt to mind meld with the creature and teach about the wonders of the universe by showing its stock footage of Lassie's rescue rangers from Earth. The best <laughs> planet ever! The cloud decides that it could not hurt a planet where dogs live, so it leaves to find a place that it can eat and that won't complain to it. Uh, also, the Enterprise totally escapes by flying out of Galactus' butt.
0: Yeah, they kind of do. <laughs> Uh, Filmation was well known for recycling elements from their other shows, and I uh, most of the shows that I'm familiar with didn't exist yet. I don't know what they made before this point, like I guess Lassie's Rescue Rangers. Yeah, I don't know what else. Um, I, this this wasn't a bad episode. I like the creepiness of the the alien cloud. Yep, it's very alien. Like it has a really hard time dealing with the fact that there are tiny things in it. Yep. Which was cool. I I didn't I, like Spock melded with it, which was cool, but uh, I didn't like. Of, the, he did this by yeah, was, a sort of
1: wide armed bombastic. Uh,
0: well, the thing had sort of I I don't know made it into the air vents or something. Yeah. I don't know. And and Spock just sitting on the bridge, sitting on his chair in the bridge, just extends his arms and mine melds with the air. Spock, his arms
1: held wide.
0: Yeah. Which is unfortunate because it was otherwise quite a nice scene. Mm -hmm. Like, Machel Barrett did that great sort of creepy ethereal, you know, like, do not understand. I I really enjoyed that. Like, I like when the aliens are aliens. Yeah. When they have a really hard time grasping basic concepts of humanity. Yeah, more of this, less of obey me. (laughs) Yeah. You did did, uh, fixate on the obey (laughs) me. But the, this episode wasn't, wasn't terrible. They did basically say, we're in this thing's digestive tract. We're going to have to come out the other yeah. end. Like, they effectively said we're going out at the
1: Yeah, butt. like, this is another one of those times where I'm like, okay, you guys aren't going out through the butt, right? Right? <laughs> right?
0: No, apparently oh, well, are. Jim,
1: we're in the digestive system now. Going down Which the small like, intestine. You
0: know, yep. We came in through the mouth. There appears to be another opening on the opposite end.
1: <laughs> I found a way out. It's not pretty, but it'll do.
0: <laughs> they um they did a good job of i like this was different enough from the space amoeba episode i thought was it the immunity yeah i think so factor whatever that that was a decent episode but this this was different enough because they were once again inside a giant spaceborn thingy you know organism but it was it was different and i liked that bones had a big part of figuring out what was there and what did what like, oh, they, these bits of antimatter that are blowing us up, those are like stomach yeah. enzymes. You know, it, that no, was It a good
1: way to keep Bones around and give him something to do.
0: Yeah, because when there aren't people directly being injured or when Kirk doesn't need a conscience, mm-hmm. Bones, that's it. Those are his two yep. jobs. And, so and making fun of Spock. A, well, yes, I'm making fun of Spock, of course. What are you working, on? Oh, what are you working
1: on right now? I'm busy, Doctor. I really don't have time for your jabs.
0: oh uh, hop, so, uh, Bob, Scotty, what are you doing? Go away. <laughs> Doesn't anybody want to be made fun of? How about you, Eric? you three-legged goat man? I miss Chekhov. <laughs> Nobody misses Chekhov. <laughs> this is like when I did my Transformers review and uh, reviews and uh, Optimus Prime went away for like 30 episodes. <laughs> Let's just enjoy it while we have it. Let's not call attention to it all the time. Because <laughs> he's coming back. Ugh. Let's just enjoy it while we have it. We're gonna have enough reason to to dislike Koenig in in a week or two. Ugh, so, yeah, uh... <laughs> but I mean, this episode's fairly standard Star Trek stuff. But you know, not not great, but not, not certainly bad. well. It was certainly a well done episode. Yeah, I, well, as well done as these guys can be. Again, Filmation, not exactly you know Pixar or, or oh Disney. god no, they're uh... yeah.
1: When you're not even again, when you're not even Hanna Barbera.
0: Yeah, no, they they were not. They think. Really good designs, but animation style, think season one of South Park. Yeah. <laughs> That's about right. Or like the earliest Adult Swim stuff, where like uh, they would punch each other by raising their arms straight yep. up. There's this trick that they love. There's a couple of decent tricks they use when they don't want to do uh, lip sync. There's one where they do kind of a over-the-shoulder mm-hmm. shot where you see their jaw moving, but you don't see their lips. That one's actually fairly artful, I yes. would say. <laughs> then there's their trick. Where someone just puts their hand right over their face, yep.
1: but it's clear that the arm is not attached to anything; it's just sort of floating.
0: Well, also that, but it just there's no reason. It's not like they're exasperated mm-hmm. in mid conversation. Kirk will just put his arm, put his hand on his face, <laughs> so you can't see his mouth. And every now, like every fifth line, he'll just do that. Any ideas, Mister Fuck? Yeah, uh, but I mean, again, occasionally they do it artfully mm-hmm. if they're running. Um, they'll switch to like a silhouette yep. that's running and then you don't have to see which figure it is. They probably recycled that silhouette for Kirk and Spock and, you know, a bunch of different oh, guys, sure. I, which is fine. Um, Oh, something else. Again, we're, we're covering a lot of general stuff here just cause it's kind of a new series to us. Um, there is about five minutes of score. Yep. That plays out through a 20 minute episode. And when we're watching four of these, we hear it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. There's one that I kept pointing out to Matt because it kind of sticks in my brain. It's the the music swells and swells and swells and then you get this <laughs> And it just like I wake up in the middle of the night with that stuck in my head because you just you hear it over and over. Come
1: again. back, bassy Spock theme.
0: <laughs> yeah, they couldn't afford that. Music. They they did the best they could. Oh, they, they certainly a, did They have a sound-alike theme at the beginning that's not it's suitably bombastic. But it's dun 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 dun, dun, dun. And so on in that fashion. Yes. All right. Anything else about this one?
1: Uh, No. All right. What do
0: you got for a quote?
1: My quote is, uh, Kirk, ordering the Enterprise to self-destruct to save a planet without batting an eye. This is – we make fun, but you know this is one of the reasons I love this crew so much.
0: Captain, I have completed the analysis of the target area. Unfortunately, the brain is so vast, our entire offensive armament will not assure its destruction. However – the brain could be completely destroyed if we convert the entire ship to energy aimed at the brain's cortex and expend the energy in one mortal strike. That sounds like you're telling us to blow up the ship. I believe that is what I just said, Doctor. Your figures are specific and absolutely correct, of course. You're sure it would do the job? Yes, Captain. Quite sure. Kirk to Engineering.
1: Engineering. Scott here. Mr. Scott,
0: prepare the self-destruct mechanism in the engineering core. Computer control will be on the bridge when it's time to trigger it. I... Yeah, they are not afraid to, uh, to just blow their ship the fuck up. Yep, I love it. And he calls down to Scott. He's just
1: like, uh, Scotty, get ready to blow up the ship. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, nobody uh, nobody else bats an eye either. It's not just like Kirk's nope. in- insane. Everyone's ready nope. to give their lives if, if they need to. Because yep. uh, there's a this thing's moving toward a, a, a an inhabited planet. I think. Uh, yes. Sometimes
1: we. I think it was like 80 million lives or yeah. something on there. So you know, giving. And Kirk's responsible
0: for all of them. Yeah, exactly. All right. And what was your alternate title for? Uh... Well, I, I, I got to I, say, one of our planets is missing is a pretty great title. You... Pretty good title, but uh, I went with uh,
1: Lassie and the Spirit of Thunder Mountain.
0: <laughs> Very well. All right. The the fourth episode this week is the Lorelai Signal. Uh, has nothing to do with Gilmore Girls. Just. Get that idea out of your head right now. Uh, The Enterprise is lured to a planet of women who, let me save you the trouble of guessing this for yourself, end up being sci-fi versions of the Sirens of Myth. They drain men's life forces. Just like a wife, get it? I'm so terribly sorry. So yeah, the men of the ship are drawn to this planet's indigenous population of nearly identical blonde women. As Matt deftly observed, this planet is effectively the Castle Anthrax from Python and the Holy Grail. So while that's kind of dumb It does allow for something that was long overdue Uhura in the captain's chair Alright she might not sit in the actual chair But she totally takes command She and acting chief medical officer Chapel, Along with a gaggle of ladies with identical voices Rescue the men Who are hiding in a giant clay pot outdoors And nearly drown when the <laughs> rain comes No I'm not making any of that up The women promptly resume their places When everything goes back to normal Which is kind of lame but still for one brief moment, there actually was room in your world of starship captains for a woman.
1: Yeah, this was actually. I, I enjoyed this. There was. The, the danger non... was dumb. Yeah, no, it was a stupid fucking concept,
0: but. And, and it's not even, like, 60s stupid, because we'll see something very similar to this in, in early next gen. It's just. It's sort of pulpy, campy sci fi.
1: Yeah, but, you know, fuck, I've been waiting for Uhura to have something to do
0: forever. Well, you commented on the very first 20 minutes we watched that Uhura mm. already had more lines in, in that one animated episode than she had in, like, the last five episodes of the series. Yeah,
1: no, I, I like that character a lot. I just wish she had something to do, and finally she does. It's not
0: cool. I will, I will officially go on the record as saying I don't know if I like that character because, frankly, I don't know what she does.
1: All right, well, I am willing
0: to like that yeah. character. No, I like the actor, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get to know her better, but she had a few badass lines, like, uh, badass moments in the movies, but until you get to the 2009 movie, it's it's that Chekhov thing. It's like, what does she do? Like, I guess she does something, but, you mm-hmm. know, what what is what is the point of her?
1: Just hailing frequencies open, Captain. Yeah,
0: and knowing that she's a linguist is great. But I mean, in here, they at least writes more for. Her. I think they wanted to justify paying her. Uh-huh. They didn't want to just have her say one line and and have her collect the same paycheck that everyone else did.
1: Yeah. But, well, I mean, that certainly makes yeah. sense.
0: And and she also, like I say, picks up a lot of the uh, the, the secondary voice duty. And that was the only really unfortunate part about uh, the the bit where the female crewmen, uh, crew women, whatever. Uh, you know, save the men, is you only have Major Barrett and Michelle Nichols doing all of their voices, plus all of the voices of the women on the planet. So that got a little weird for a while there.
1: Yeah, I I kind of enjoy when the team of security women come down, though, all identically with their hands on their hips. Yeah, well...
0: Slightly different heads. Yeah. And, you know, of course, they all got the short skirts. Yep. But, I mean, at least, you know, they drew different hair on them. That's Well, yes. <laughs> we're, we're really grading on a curve here, folks. <laughs> but, no, it, it was, I mean, the actual setup was kind of dumb. But the, you know, the payoff, the, the idea that, that Uhura gets to be in charge and, you know, all, the, all the, the ladies of the Enterprise actually get to be useful for a change, that was great. Yep.
1: Also, nice to have Chapel in a in a uh in a sort of main role again. Well, we've
0: pointed out before that uh Bones always treated her with a a fair amount of dignity and respect. So, yes. you know, and when we hear in the motion picture, spoilers, that uh, she's an MD now, you know, it's it's no surprise. Like she's it's like good. It's not like she's content being a nurse. It's she's young and working her way up. Mm-hmm. It's different. It's it's not the same as she has no ambition. It's just she, you know, she's not a doctor yet. Yeah. And I I fully believe in a crisis situation, if she were, you know, not just in this situation, but any situation, if she were appointed chief medical officer, she could totally carry it. And Bones would be fine with it.
1: Oh, yeah. I, he'd bitch, but
0: Wynne doesn't. Oh, well, he'd
1: bitch about anyone. Yeah,
0: exactly. But I, I fully got the idea, the way she was written, probably because she was the boss's uh, wife, but, you know, I fully got the idea that she was, uh, she was capable, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they ended up fixing the men, which had their, their life force drained by some stupid headband thing. Whatever
1: the fuck that means.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Life force. This is science fiction. They don't, you know, in Buffy, it's fine when someone's life force is drained. It's their soul or whatever. But in a sci-fi show, I I need a little more explanation than that. What, what, what's being drained exactly? Is it their white blood cells? Is it their, you know, something, (laughs) anything.
1: I totally wish that it was their white blood cells. I don't know. I don't
0: know what that even means. I just, I'm saying something <laughs> that sounds vaguely medical, but, you know. They're stealing their teeth. Sure. <laughs> That's a thing, right? Yes. Teeth teeth are a thing. <laughs> but w- the way they end up undoing it is, is sort of a big cop-out that they will use again uh, in Next Gen, which is the transporter. Yeah. Because the transporter has the copy of your, like, the pattern of your body that is healthy. Mm. So if you just run yourself through the transporter, it just filters it right out. <laughs> While I, I see that the technology could be used that way, it's kind of a cop-out. Yeah. It's Kind of a, we have a well, magic thing I to guess, undo everything ever. I, get, I guess this is how we cured all disease and stuff. I suppose, but then how did how did Bones have a terminal disease, uh, you know, in Season 3? Well, he wouldn't get on the transport. Oh, that's true. He, he doesn't like his atoms being scattered around in space. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aged cartoon versions of our heroes aren't, uh, actually aren't terribly far off from how they ended up looking. Except for Shatner, because he got really puffy. Yeah. No, if you look at like wrinkly Spock, he looks a lot like uh, Nimoy does now. Yep. It wasn't too bad, and he has that like
1: uh, sort of older Nimoy gravelly yep. voice from when he from the seventies. So it's really like, yep,
0: there's old man Nimoy. Well, you can you can start to hear. You had pointed this out. You can start to hear the evolution of his voice.
1: Yes. Because it
0: definitely gets a little lower and a little. I don't. I don't know what exactly the word I'm looking for is. It, it's not just. The, uh, the pitch of the voice, but something about his delivery is a little more, I don't know, distinguished? Jim! Yeah. He he sounds older. I mean, that's it. He sounds yeah. older, but he's got the kind of voice where sounding older is cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you're starting to hear the effects of that now, where there's been like a four-year break, and I don't know, he's been smoking or something. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, th- this episode, you know, while Goofy had had a lot of cool moments. and uh, Yes. And again, over a Getting to kick some ass is uh, is great. Very cool. Yeah. There's a there's an episode coming up which is actually my favorite one of this this whole series. Um, where Kirk's not even in it. First of all, <laughs> shock. Ooh. Once again, my favorite episode has almost no Kirk in it. <laughs> Just like in the uh, in the live action series where the Tholian web, he was dead in like five minutes. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's in a it's an away team mission with uh, Spock, Sulu, and Hura. and Ooh. she gets quite a lot to do in that as well. So so I know this isn't the last time. I, I'm actually excited to see those three play off of each other. No, it's it's quite a nice episode. It, the the weird thing about it is, and we'll talk about this when we actually do it, um, it's written by Larry Niven, who's a sci-fi writer I quite like, and it's basically yeah. adapted from one of his uh, stories set in his uh, canon of the uh, Ringworld books. Oh, yes. So uh, I won't say people act out of character, but there's a lot of situations and, and stuff that are you know if you, if you're familiar with both things you can see how he just basically did a find and replace mhm but uh not not that that's bad because i mean it's it's a great story very very classic hard sci-fi which overall i'd say this this animated series does that better they're yeah they, yeah definitely they don't have to play up you know the the standard hour long drama stuff you don't have to have a love story every week in fact i think kids shows almost never do no you can play up the hard sci-fi the more Fantastic stuff and you can, you know, whatever you can draw, you can have. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, again, you got to lower your expectations pro- pro- production value-wise. Uh,
1: yes, but uh, if you're willing to do that, it's definitely yeah worth checking Absolutely out.
0: Absolutely worth a look. Um, mm-hmm. So you got anything else on this one or? Uh, no, I think that is it. All right, Uh, the quote that I picked, uh, there were a few good ones. I just, I wanted to get a good example of Ahura being kind of a badass. And here's one where she beams down to the planet and, and basically just points a phaser at the leader.
1: Release Captain Kirk and his men or we will destroy your temple.
0: Which is just fantastic. Yeah. So, and my alternate title for this episode, How Neota Got Her Groove Back. <laughs> So that's all for this week. Um, future installments of the animated series should have some guests. Um, mm-hmm. Got a few people we haven't had on before who wanted to uh, jump in and try some. So uh, look forward to that. And that's uh, that's all from us, I think. Unless, Matt, you got anything? Uh, no, I think that's it. Okay. Uh, well then. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.